Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the truths that we've, uh, God, just all proclaimed corporately through, uh, through song. Um, and Lord, we thank you for your word that um, those are the promises that we receive that uh, God gives us these songs to sing. Uh, God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for every person who uh, is sitting in front of a device right now who's uh, just hearing these words. Uh, God, I just pray blessing over this room and blessing over the homes and the places where people are gathered this morning. Um, Father, I just pray especially um, this morning that uh, your word uh, would do all that you intend for it to do today. And if that's for correction, if that's for encouragement, if that's for rebuke, if that's for, uh, God, just to show your kindness to us, then, Father, I pray that it accomplish the will that you have for us. Lord, I pray that any word that come from my mouth uh, that is not the words that you have for us this morning, I pray that they be burned up before they reach the hearts of those who hear. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, guys, and welcome everybody who is joining us online. Um, we are continuing a journey that we started back in January, uh, where um, our intentions with our scriptures are to kind of point to the reality of Jesus in every part of the word. Um, one of the things that I know I made a mistake uh, or was just in my immaturity uh, as a believer uh, was thinking that the Old Testament was a bunch of stories about um, just God and how he dealt with people and some, you know, crazy moments. And then we get to learn about Jesus in the New Testament. We get to go there and, um, and, and then see Jesus born and see Jesus uh, do ministry and then uh, get to the meat of what it is to be in the kingdom. And that is Jesus' life, death, uh, resurrection, uh, giving his life for us on the cross. But as, as we begin to grow in our faith, one of the things that we'll see, uh, if we're looking for Jesus, what you'll see is that he will pop up in every single thread of scripture, that, it's, it, that, that, that the whole Bible is actually about Jesus. It's about God's redemptive plan uh, to correct the things that humanity had broken at the very beginning of time. Um, and his plan had always been Jesus. His plan was never for us to modify our behaviors and start acting better. Uh, he knew from the very beginning that we were unable to do that. Uh, it wasn't uh, for us to do good works, uh, work ourselves into some sort of salvation, but it was actually Jesus ushering in salvation on our behalf. Um, and so what I'm going to do this morning, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 6. Um, and we're going to be picking up a pretty popular moment in Scripture that probably most, if, uh, if, you're, if you're not new to uh, religion, if you're not new to Christianity, you will have probably heard this story. And even if you uh, are somewhat, um, somewhat new to this whole idea, you've probably heard this story as well. Um, I'm going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read a, a big chunk of Scripture, and I want you guys to bear with me, and I want you to follow along. Uh, we're going to be specifically focused on a moment where Jesus um, fed a, a, a few people on a hillside in the neighborhood of about four or 5,000 people. Um, but there were some moments that were leading up to this, and there were some moments that happened after this that are important, and, and especially for today's context, we want to make sure that we capture those. And so I'm going to pick up Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 7. 
And we're going to read just about the rest of that chapter of Mark chapter 6. And so if you'll follow along with me, starting at verse 7. And he, speaking of Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they, and they cast out many demons and anointed with, with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, that this is why uh, these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I, should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, when many saw them going and recognized them, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And, he, and, and when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing 
and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of to, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken the leave of them, he went up on a, on the mountain to pray. And even and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and. He was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for, all they, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So that's a big chunk of scripture, a big text. We're going to focus in on this part where he feeds the 5,000, this miracle that probably many of us are familiar with. Um, and as we think about that text, uh, just maybe thinking in our current, um, our current context, we are in uh, some uh, days of revolution, right? This, these are moments of revolution that we're in right now. Cities across our country and cities across the world are, uh, are, are in protest. They are in upheaval right now, uh, all in pursuit of justice. Um, we've seen on our TV screens and on our devices, on our news feeds, um, just how, thing, how broken things are right now and, and how so many injustices are served right now. These, um, these protests that we've seen have been sparked by some of the most recent atrocities against our brown and our black friends, our brothers and sisters who are being killed at the hands of those who are, who are entrusted uh, to protect and serve, uh, who've decided to abuse their power, um, and, and the result is people uh, losing their lives. These protests have been both helpful and they've been destructive. Helpful or destructive in the sense that uh, many have taken advantage uh, of this moment to incite violence and incite rioting, but helpful because in this very moment that we're in right now, the whole world is standing at attention. The whole world is paying attention right now to what's going on, and hopefully, maybe we're listening. Maybe, maybe we're, we're not talking for once, and maybe our ears are open for just a second to, to listen as... Um, as change is demanded, as change is being challenged right now, that we need to change the way we do things. We need to change the way things are run. We need to change the way things are funded. There's all kinds of conversations about what should happen and the steps forward. Will it be good? I don't know. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, it, the outcome is obviously unknown, but what we can do as people of God is pray. Pray that, the, that justice will be done, and not just, not just a category of justice, but that God's justice would be executed in our nation and in this world. That the, that the wrongs will be set right, and that the sad will be made glad, and that there will be peace and harmony in our world. That's what we can pray for as believers. Now, on the surface, it, it might not seem like it, uh, but our text today is about revolution. It's, a, it's about challenge. It's about, it's about revolution. It's this, this very familiar story to us. Uh, it's a major event in the Gospels. Um, the only miracle to show up in all four of the Gospels together is this one right here, this moment where Jesus feeds everyone. 
Um, and so it's, it's a major event, obviously, but it's, it's also revolutionary. And I want to kind of get to my point. Like mo- most of us, when we think about Jesus feeding um, the 5,000, in our minds, I know in mine and maybe in yours too, you kind of have this picture in mind where there's this little prairie and there are people all sitting out on the green grass. And it's kind of like a, this gigantic picnic that, that's going on. Um, and so whenever I say this is a revolutionary text, that this, this text, this passage is about revolution, um, you may be asking yourself, like, what, how can I say that, right? And I would say to you that you've probably missed some very key components of this passage and especially of the context. Uh, the apostles, as you saw, they're, they're returning from a mission trip that Jesus had sent them on. Um, and this is actually the only time that Mark will use the word apostle. And he's specifically pointing to the fact that these are sent ones. These are ones that I sent to go and proclaim the kingdom. And so they, 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 they come back. Jesus had sent them out uh, to repeat everything that he had been doing, right? Like, go uh, preach like I've been preaching. Go and heal like I've been healing. Go and perform miracles like I've been um, doing and so that, that's what they went out to do. They went out to preach the kingdom. They went out to heal the sick. They went out to cast, cast out demons. And as they return, they, obviously their popularity has grown. And there's crowds following them now. So the apostles, they've kind of got a following now. And Jesus will instruct them at that moment when they get back to let's, let's retreat, let's withdraw for some rest. And they don't get a chance to do that. You saw that immediately. The people were just kind of chasing in behind them. And, the, and when they arrived at the place where they're going to go... Uh, get some rest, there were people there. And they find this massive crowd. And so I think about it as a leader in the church, right? Um, This moment where (laughs) you want some rest, right? And I can imagine Jesus' frustration or the apostles' frustration when they show up to the place where they're supposed to rest and there's this massive crowd there that they didn't get to retreat, that they didn't get to go to this place where they were going to be left alone. And so, you know, Jesus is trying to get alone with, with his boys, and you would imagine that he would be frustrated in that moment, right? And what does the text say? When they went ashore, he saw that great crowd, and he had compassion on them. That's our shepherd, right? He's not the one that's going to get frustrated like we would. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And some of you hear that, and it just seems like this precious moments idea. You think about a sheep and a shepherd, and it seems like this cartoon moment this idea and you would be missing it completely when you think about it when you think about that statement that Jesus said if you think about it as a precious moments cartoon type figure um, you would miss the whole point this is a revolutionary statement he has just said something heavy because shepherd is a metaphor I don't know if you've picked up on it yet but it's a metaphor all throughout the Bible as a leader to the Jewish people. This is how God would refer to the leaders of the, his people, that they were shepherds over his people. And so when you finally start connecting the dots, you start to get this idea of why this section of Mark is laid out so weird. It, it, did anybody else pick up on the fact that it was kind of weird? Like there's this John the Baptist moment just like just showed up in there? See, I, I typically just read on and I don't really pick up on it, but when I, you stop and you kind of go a little bit slower, what you see is like, that was really random wasn't it? It was random that that, that was just kind of sitting in there. And it's not one of these moments where, um, where the author is, is writing and he covers kind of like this meanwhile moment, like, okay, so Jesus sent out the disciples uh, and, and they're going, meanwhile, over here, because what we know is that that was something that happened in the past, that this whole event with John the Baptist had already happened, but Mark inserts it 
right here in the middle of the text. And it's this flashback moment to something that's happening. And I wonder why he's doing that. Do you wonder why he's doing that? Why, why would Mark do that? Mark's getting ready to compare and contrast shepherding for, for us. That's why he does it. When Jesus saw the crowds, he, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. We have a context of what the shepherd looked like in that day. Mark wants to do us a favor. Mark's wanting to say, let me show you what their king is like. Let me show you what their shepherd is like. These people who are, who are chasing after these apostles, let me show you what they've been going through. So he shows us King Jesus and how he sends out his people to, to proclaim the kingdom. And then he compares them to Herod, who is, who is no king at all. He doesn't care about his people's sensibilities. He's a, he doesn't care about offending people. He's ruling over Galilee. This is a deeply religious place. And he tells his brother's wife, hey, I think you're kind of cute. I think you need to leave him and come marry me, uh, which is extremely offensive to this entire group of people who, he's, who he leads, Right? And he was confronted by someone who didn't give a rip what he thought. He wasn't scared of him at all. John the Baptist confronts him and says, hey, you are totally out of line. That is completely offensive and you need to repent. So John the Baptist is preaching truth. He's standing up for the people. And so Herod's in this moment. He's in this, what the scriptures say, he's perplexed because he's in this kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of weird where he doesn't like what John the Baptist has to say coming at him, but he didn't want to kill him because he really liked to listen to John the Baptist. It's kind of this weird thing. So he's kind of confused a little bit. He respects John. He has a fear of religion, but he wants to do what he wants to do, right? So we're not so far away from King Herod, are we? We, we, have, we have respect for religion. We like to hear people preach the truth, but at the end of the day, I want to do what I want to do. So I'm not that radical. So he's in this tough place where his wife wants John the Baptist dead. Calls for his head. I mean, anybody else thought that was a morbid text? Like, bring his head out on a platter in front of the people to all see? Like, imagine you at that party. Like, it's pretty bad. So the wife calls for John's head. Herod's afraid of John. He kind of likes listening to him. So in this moment, she sees this opportunity where he's having this party He's got all of his nobles. He's in his palace. He's in his palace. He's hosting a lavish banquet with all his nobles in, in, his, in the court, all the military commanders. You saw that. And there in that moment, he has this girl, his stepdaughter, dancing exotically in front of them. Um, I'm, I'm wanting you to kind of get in that moment because that's exactly what's happening. And in this display of power, how he wants to show everybody in the room that he's got power, he stands up and he says, I appreciate this, and I'll give you half my kingdom. You tell me what you want. And the irony of all of this is that Herod wasn't even a king. He wasn't even a king. He, he's the son of Herod the Great who was the king. But when Herod the Great had, had died, he split up his kingdom into four. And this here is uh, Herod Antipas, who Mark ironically calls king, but was no king at all. As a matter of fact, history would show us that he would petition Rome to become king. And that would be the very thing that would get him ousted. But he wanted to be a king. He was insecure, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to gain power. So he's trying to act that way. He's trying to display power that he may or may not even have. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about what was right. He didn't care about what God thought. He only cared about himself. This is the world that 
this crowd is living in. This is the context. This is the ruler of these people. This is their king. This is their leader. This is their shepherd, so to speak. And the story switches then, not to a palace, but out into a field where there's a different kind of king. Not an astute banquet, but out where people haven't even had a chance to eat yet. And he looks around and he sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. You get how this text starts becoming revolutionary now? And it's the language that Ezekiel uses in chapter 34, just sections of that, of, that, um, of that chapter. It opens up, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should you not, shepherds, feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there's no shepherd, and they become food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Down in verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I, and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Down to verse 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. Verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Every thread of Scripture points us to Jesus. Every thread of it. And so Jesus looks around and he sees this prophecy of Ezekiel. He looks around and he sees what's going on and he answers by stepping in as king. Jesus answers by stepping up and saying, I'm taking over. I'm going to be their shepherd because there is no shepherd. There's make-believe shepherds and there's abusive shepherds and there are no shepherds at all. They don't care for these people. They only care for themselves. So I'm taking over. That's going to cause problems for Jesus. I don't know if you know how the story goes. It's going to cause problems for him. He's not in a palace. He's out in a pasture. He's out in a field. And, he, and he's not taking. He's giving. That's what we see our shepherd doing. And in the Gospel of John, we see that the people, we might not have picked up on it, but the people in this pasture, in this field, they knew exactly what was going on. They picked up on the fact that this was revolutionary. John chapter 6, this same moment in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing. They, they saw exactly who Jesus was, and so much so that they wanted to force him to become their king. And they tried to take him by force, and they tried to make him king. These people were ready for a revolution. They were ready to see the world flip right side up, and they knew that this was the king that was going to make it happen. And in this moment, Jesus escapes them. He leaves. 
Because Jesus, he's not like the kings of this world. And he wants to make sure that they know that. He wants to make sure that you and I know that. That he is not like the kings of this world. He isn't chasing money. He isn't chasing power. He isn't chasing acceptance or popularity. And he's also not your just run-of-the-mill revolutionary either. He didn't go, okay, everybody, gather together. Okay, you want to make me king? Let's do weapons training. Here's all your guns. We're going to kind of do this thing in the, with a military force. He didn't set it up like that. He wasn't handing out weapons. He started handing out bread. That's what kind of king we worship. He didn't come to overthrow the government. He came to change all of nature is what he came to do. He came to feed the hungry. He came to bind up what is broken. He came to preach and give truth where there was deception and lostness and darkness by going through the deepest, most broken places in all of humanity to fix those. That's where Jesus is headed as king. And his kingdom, it isn't one that tries to take power. It's actually a kingdom that gives power. His kingdom doesn't try to fight for popularity, to be, to be popular. It raises others up and it considers them greater than ourselves. That's what his kingdom looks like. To come underneath the least of these and serve them, to lift them up, to, 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 to minister to them and to preach the kingdom. Imagine this kingdom where everyone wins. Imagine that, where, where everyone wins. This is, the, this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus is building. He's, he's totally outside of the human story that we see today, where it's all about me, where it's all about mine and my comfort and my power and my popularity. He's, he's, he's kind of radically uh, uh, just opposed to all of those things. And for some of you, that's what it's all about. For, even if you don't realize it, for some of you, that's what it's about. And Jesus is going to break this system down. He's going to create a, a new system, a new kingdom where you give, where you show um, generosity, where you show compassion. And in giving, that's where you find life. That's where you find a new life. And, and he, he doesn't want to do it alone. I don't know if that, that's part of the text, kind of where it goes. Notice he didn't just kind of go and sprinkle magic dust all over the pasture and just bread appeared in front of everybody. That's not how he did it. He could have... He could have made whatever happened happen. He's in charge of creation. He could have done it that way, but he chose not to do it that way. He says, I don't want to do it alone. I can, but I don't want to do it alone. I'm, I'm building this kind of kingdom, and I'm going to do it through people. I'm going to use the people to, to build this kind of kingdom. And so he's been building these revolutionaries, these apostles, these sent ones that, that's around him. In chapter 1, he's going to tell them, hey, come with me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And chapter after chapter, they actually don't do anything. Jesus does all the fishing and all the catching and all the whatever. He's doing all of that. And he, then he'll pull those 12 in closely, and he'll tell them to just be with him. Just come with me, and we're going to do miraculous things together. Come with me and do that. But they really don't do anything. They just kind of follow him around and watch Jesus do all the miracles, right? And so that's kind of what it's been looking like. And when we get to this section, you saw where Jesus sends them to do what he, he's been teaching them. He sent them out to teach them. He says, okay, okay, Jesus, what, you're sending us. What are we supposed to say? What are we supposed to preach? I don't know. Preach, preach what I've been preaching. Well, how, well, how are we supposed to do this? Heal like I've been healing. By, like, cast out demons like I've been casting out demons. Go do those things. And so that's what they go and do. And Jesus is doing exactly what every one of us as believers should be doing, making disciples. That's exactly what he's doing. He, he didn't have to include these people. He didn't have to include these disciples, but he wanted to. He wanted them to be a part of this, and he doesn't have to include you. 
He doesn't have to include me, but he wants to. He's inviting us into this project of kingdom building that he's, uh, that he's bringing about. And so they get to this moment where Jesus sees the people and they, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. As people without a leader. And I love this. And this is to the point where it makes my heart so glad when I see this with, with those in our circle, in our church family even, where the disciples finally begin to take ownership of their ministry. You, you see that. So they start, start to, to, to show care for the people, right? Like Jesus is out there and he's just kind of preaching and preaching. And finally they're like, hold up, man. Jesus, it's, uh, it's getting kind of late, man. Like we're a long way from town. People haven't eaten yet. You're going long. You need to kind of land the plane so that these, we can send these people on to go get something to eat. So you notice how they're now thinking outside of themselves. They're thinking about the people, right? And that's just, a, that's, that's just Christian maturity, right? Where we start to finally kind of get outside of our own selves and start thinking about other people and the needs of other people. So they start to show care for the people. And they come up with what seems like a reasonable, reasonable plan, right? Like, okay, let's just kind of cut it off here. Send them into town. Let them go get something to eat. And then maybe we can pick this thing back up tomorrow. I don't know, you know, but like it's getting kind of late. And Jesus responds with a different plan that is a logistical nightmare. He answered them, you give them something to eat. 5,000 people, these disciples. And the emphasis in the Greek is on you. You give them something to eat. Literally, Jesus, let them go buy bread? No, you feed them. You feed them. And Mark gives us what every other gospel has filtered out. I love this. I love all the gospels, but Mark is my favorite because he has no filter. And he doesn't filter this part out in verse 37. He says, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? A denarii is a day's wage. So these disciples are... Basically saying, oh, so you just want me to go ahead and take this $35,000 out of my pocket and go get them something to eat, Jesus? Is that what you want to do? Sounds right. Like, especially since you told us just earlier not to carry anything with us, no money, no nothing else, nothing extra. Now, all of a sudden, I just got 30, Andrew, you got $35,000 in your pocket? We'll just take that out, Jesus. Sounds like a great plan. We'll go and we'll go buy them awesome food to eat in town. They're just looking at Jesus and going, Seriously? What a dumb idea. Literally, that's the, the, this is one of the most sarcastic and offensive verses in Scripture. Because they're being extremely sarcastic. And Jesus, I love this, he fires back with, well, gosh, you know, how much do you have? And, there, and he won't let it go. He's like, go, go see. Go see how much you have. Like, he's really just kind of frustrating them, Right? And he won't let it go. He, he's warning them. The, the point that Jesus is trying to make right here is he's wanting them to feel their inadequacy. He's wanting them to feel that. Like, you can't do anything about this, can you? Think about all the ways that you can you possibly meet these needs. That's where he's going with this. And so they come back with defeat, right? Five. Five loaves, that's all we got. And Jesus does this for their good. 
You need to know what Jesus is about if you're going to walk with him. You need to know how Jesus is if you're going to walk with him. He says, I'm about preaching the truth to the deceived. I'm about healing the broken. I'm the solution. I'm their king. And he wants us to join him in that. He wants us to be a part of that. We tend to hear that as this enormous task, something that just, we like, overwhelming. And then we tend to reduce it to, you know what, that's a lot. I think maybe I'll just be nice to people. Like, that, that's, that's about as much as I can do. I think I'm just going to be a good person. That's about as far as I can take it because all of that, Jesus, just really seems overwhelming. And because Jesus is changing the world, when you say that, that just seems crazy and overwhelming. And he wants you to be a part of this. And you go, yeah, I hear you, Jesus. I hear you. But I'm looking in my pockets, man, and I only got five pieces of bread. I only got... You start looking at your limitations that prevent you from... From, from doing that for Jesus, to join in. You start, you start listing out all the things that, the reasons why you can't. I don't have the money, Jesus. I, I, you don't know the wounds that I'm carrying, Jesus. You don't know how, all, all of the insufficiencies, you don't know about my fear, Jesus, you don't know all of these things. And he puts them in this moment of helplessness because he wants them there. Jesus wants us there. And he does this so that we can see what he's able to do. He puts us there. He wants to be glorified in our weaknesses. He wants us to be glorified in our insufficiencies and in our inadequacies. And then Jesus sits them all down in groups, and he takes what they have, and he divides it, and they eat, and they're satisfied, and they pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. That's a miracle. No way to slice it any other way. I've heard people try to slice it a thousand different ways. That's a miracle. Jesus puts us in this moment where he says, I want you to be a part of changing everything. I'm doing it, and I want you to come along with me. And we would tend to respond with how little of a difference we're making at our jobs right now or on my campus right now or in my neighborhood right now. Like, Jesus, you don't even know. Like, I, I can't even go there. And that's okay. He wants you in that place. He wants you to come to him in that place of brokenness and insufficiency. That's where he wants you. And I don't know every personal situation in here. I don't know, uh, you know, we, I've had conversations with some of you, and I kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in your lives based on what you share. So I don't know every personal situation. But if you're feeling too small, it's because you are. It's because you are too small. That's the point. That's the point Jesus is trying to drive home, that we are too small. Yes, we are too small to make a difference. We can't do that. No, you don't have the right words to say to change the heart of a human. You don't have that kind of power. You're insufficient. You're small. I'm not trying to ridicule you. I'm just trying to show you who you are in light of Jesus. Yes, we're inadequate. Yes, we can do nothing, but Jesus can. He can, and, and I know that everyone's situation, no matter how small you feel, you need to realize that we have this king who is changing the world. We worship this king who is changing the world, and we're invited to participate in this. We're invited to step in this and to lean in this with Jesus. He knows you're small. He knows that you are inadequate. He knows, that you, he knows every limitation that you can possibly list for him. He knows it. And he's got you in that place. He wants you to know that he knows you're small, that you're inadequate. And here's something interesting that you may have missed out about all of this. 
and this is kind of where I'll, I, will, I will close this, this passage up. Um, everything that I read, like as far as those miracles that took place, all those were unnecessary miracles. Like, no one was dying. You know, humans can go days without eating food, right? So, like, no one was, no one was on the brink of death if Jesus didn't feed them that night. It was, un, it was unnecessary. The disciples, their idea, their plan that they had, that would have worked fine. That seems very practical to me. There's 5,000 people. They need to go to town. There's no possible way we got this kind of food around here. So they come up with a pretty practical idea. But Jesus creates a crisis. He creates a crisis. And why does he do that? So that we'll know that we're small. So that we'll know that we're inadequate, that we, don't, we, that we have all these limitations. And then he wants to show us him. He wants us to see him. And that's what's happening in the next moment. We, we're not digging into it, but I, just, I wanted to read it so that we could point it out here. He puts the disciples out on the water. They hit this huge storm. They can't get back to shore. He walks out on the water, freaks them out. Oh, my God, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, silly, it's me. Don't be scared. Gets into the boat with him. And the story ends with, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. What a weird thing in that moment. You're on a boat. It's, you ha, you've lost it. You're a professional fisherman, but you can't control your craft at this point. So the storm's great. You're trying to find a place to land this thing, and it won't, you can't get there. Jesus walks out on the water, steps into the boat. Man, y'all remember about them, that bread, that situation back there? That was weird, wasn't it? That's a weird response. And I always said, man, the Bible's weird. This is something, something else I know. You know, like, that's kind of how I do it. Like, I just kind of, I don't know about that. That's kind of random, but let's keep moving on to some more familiar stories. So what does it mean, then? It means that these miracles are unnecessary. It means they're not necessary for your immediate physical need. But they are deeply necessary for your soul. These miracles, these, these moments that Jesus gives us are deeply necessary for our souls and for our lives. He's trying to show you the solution not just to food or your trials in life or your, your, your problems or your family issues or your job issues or the thing that's got you anxious about next month. He's trying to show you that through all of these, though they are legitimate issues, they are legitimate concerns, and Jesus absolutely cares about them, he wants, you to sh he wants to show you that your solution, yes, he can, he can be the solution to your little dinner problems, but he's a solution to a much bigger problem that you have, a much bigger problem that you have, that he is in charge of nature. He's in charge of everything and that he will create a crisis to show you that he's the answer. That, that he's the answer to it. So, so the reason he's doing this is, is not so you'll chase after that goal that you have or take that big risk. He's doing this so that you will look at him and all that he is accomplishing, all that he is doing. And when you grab on to, to that reality and, and join Jesus and reshaping 
and, and redeeming all the brokenness and all the insufficiency in the world, his glory is going to outshine all the saddest and darkest parts of your situation and your life. That's what he's trying to do for us. He's trying to address a much bigger problem than just a food problem, a dinner problem, an income problem, a job problem, a relationship problem. He's trying to go down to the deepest, darkest issue and solve that one. And from there, all these other things can be redeemed and restored. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, uh, God, for uh, just an amazing moment in Scripture, amazing uh, moment in the life of um, Jesus, in the life of these apostles, in the life of those who uh, were sitting out on this hillside this day, seeing all that was going on, and knowing that Jesus was stepping in as their one true king. Lord, I believe this text is extremely relevant to us today. God, we are so quick to put someone or something else as our God, as our shepherd, as our leader. And if that's something else or that someone else isn't Jesus, then it will be inadequate. It will be sufficient and it will actually harm us. And so, Father, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe that Christ is the king. That he's the good shepherd. That he's not one that's going to rule over us with an iron fist, but that he's going to rule with a heart of a servant, one who cares deeply for us, one who sees every one of our needs, one who, who can actually do something about it and who desires to. So Jesus, we thank you for the, the most desperate need we have, and that is life, that you've given that to us. But you've taken all the things that would make us dead and you've given us your righteousness which gives us life. And you've done that for us on the cross. And so we look to the sacrifice. We look to the, we look to the miracle that you have performed on our behalf of taking all of the ugliness that we packed around onto yourself and you've given us all of your beauty and your death on the cross. And so we worship you, Jesus. I pray, Father, this morning that those who hear these words, who've, uh, who've seen Jesus in this light, would see that he is in fact king and he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our surrender. He is worthy of, of our faith and our belief and everything about who we are. So, Father, would you continue to be a miracle-working Father that you are and save some? from this reality that Jesus has paid the price in full and that he is now inviting us to, to join him in this mission of building a kingdom that is peaceful, that is beautiful, that, is, that operates in harmony, that's a kingdom of giving instead of taking. And he is our good shepherd, he is our good king, the one that we uh, that our hearts want, the ones that our hearts desire. So could you show us in, in that light our one true King Jesus? And may the reality of what Christ has done on our behalf cause us to worship, to serve with gladness and serve with joy because 
we know that this is the best thing that humanity can have is Christ. So we worship you, Jesus. Not just in songs that we sing and not just in, in, in deeds that we do, but God, just with our hearts and just with our lives, would you, would you use us in ways that are, that are miraculous and, 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 and ways that point our neighborhood and our nations to this one true king? Would you use us that way? Use our hands and our feet and our mouths and our lives to proclaim the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your name. Amen.